Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844 My name is Dave Handrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, when we go back in time to check out Irish albums of years past. This time out, it's 2004. We're back at it with a panel of experts making her third and final appearance on The Revisit. <laughs> it's Zara Hederman Hi. <laughs> of the Thin Air State and various other places. Uh, the reason I say that is because I thought you were only on twice before and you've, uh, you've pulled the wall over my eyes oh, yet again. Third time's charm. These things happen. We're also joined by James Byrne, who was here before, who had a wrestling promo about the Pogues, which is why we wanted you back on, because that kind of fervent passion is what the show is all about. Welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Kieran <laughs> McGuinness is here, as always. Hello. Who I would normally intro last, but this time, I'm sorry, uh, we have Graham Hopkins, a multi-instrumentalist who, quite frankly, is just showing off with a CV that includes in-studio and on-tour turns for Therapy, Gemma Hayes, Snow Patrol, The Frames, The Swell Season, the soundtrack for the Academy Award winning Once, David Kitt, Jape, Mundy, Dolores O'Riordan, Josh Ritter, The Pale, Pugwash. I could go on, but why not consult his very concise Wikipedia page for more? Uh, I have to ask you though, Graham, is that Wikipedia page edited by you? What Wikipedia page? There's a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> it's very concise. On our Wikipedia page, it says that our first single got to number one, which it didn't, but I don't want to change it. <laughs> yeah. Where did it get to number 11? Number it doesn't, it doesn't specify where it got to number one, though. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a country, region, or city. Yeah. 
As I was going to say, if uh, if I had a Wikipedia page, it would say worked in Extrusion from 2003 to 2007. So in 2004, I was working in Extrusion, where CDs had yet to be brought in in a desperate bid to save the company, which didn't work. They came in in 2005, I believe. Might have had Delarenta's record in there, perhaps. But uh, 2004, no. Probably, we, I don't know, yeah. Did well, not. I don't know. I do know that the albums of 2004... You know, arguably, but big albums in 2004. Kanye West, College Dropout, yeah. uh, Hot Fuss by The Killers. Yeah. They were 2004, that's mad. Um, Elliot Smith, From a Braceman on the Hill. Wilco, A Ghost is Born, it's a great album. Uh, Arcade Fire's Funeral, The Grey Album. Um, Interpol Antics, one that I played after uh, off the stereo that <laughs> year. Uh, one of the biggest pop albums was Gwen Stefani's Love Angel Music Baby. And, uh, of course, the incredible... American Idiot by Green Day, yeah. which went on to influence a generation. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there for sure. There definitely there's, there's tons more. I mean, you could go like there's so many out al- once you get into the kind of 2000s, the amount of albums. There's tons, yeah. It's just gets Kanye one's amazing. The Killers one really holds up, I must say. In I listened 2004, to it very recently. I was 12 and I just started secondary school, so I vividly remember being on the school bus with my newly acquired uh, like Walkman, no, like with the CDs. And Hot Fuss was one of them, like CDs that I had. And uh, that was kind of when you couldn't really make anyone that you fancied a tape anymore because <laughs> we didn't really know how to, well, I didn't know how to like burn, like, and I wouldn't because it's, I assume illegal. Um, you had to like burn like songs off the thing yeah. and put them on CDs. So I just listened to them it's by myself a on man, the bus. Zara. A disc, disc man. man. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> one. I had, an, I, I had a mini disc before that. That's how old I am. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Nonetheless, 2004, and now it's going on in the pop culture realm there. Well, Karen. yeah, so the best picture was uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Other <laughs> films, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Kill oh, Bill, yeah. Volume 2, The Incredibles, Passion of the Christ, Mean Girls, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Napoleon Dynamite, Anchorman, The Notebook. I mean, there's loads of films in that year that, that really kind of... That seems like yesterday. It's yeah. mental, isn't it? <laughs> it's yesterday. It was also the year of uh, Britney and Justin's uh, famous... Uh, uh, Super Bowl thing and I didn't realise no, no not Britney and Justin or, sorry Janet yeah Janet because yeah, it was like Britney got married Britney got married oh, twice yeah, that yeah, year yeah, and yeah. released but, Toxic what a year but uh, <laughs> the Janet and Justin instant was what the event that created the phrase wardrobe malfunction yeah that's right it definitely yeah. wasn't planned either it was a complete accident yeah, right. and also shouts to the notebook <laughs> the notebook. Are you notebook guy for real yeah <laughs> okay so the big songs you'll all know it Khaleesi's milkshake, mm-hmm. right? Britney Toxic, obviously. And in a shock development, Anastasia left outside alone, which I have no idea what I that is. I remember that, yeah. No. That, that, was that was, play, that was, that was, was number one for 11, quite a lot. 11 weeks in the UK, it was number one. I don't even know it. Can you be. sing a bar of it? Well, you know it. I so can't sing can, it because not only uh, can I not please. sing, but she has a particular, like, Come you know, she's on. got a very operatic, booming voice. She had lovely glasses. I was yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she kind of had, like, a thing where you're we like, is she blind? You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. I didn't quite know. But, like uh, but, um, Gabrielle. Like Gabrielle. Yeah. So then a couple of other small things, which are big things. Um, Facebook started, Gmail started, smoking ban came in in Ireland. Yeah. Where would yeah. it be without all of these things right No, now? the smoking ban, you know, it was the first country in the world and all that. Christopher Reeve died, Marlon Brando died, and it was George Bush, Tony Blair, and Bertie Hearn, my three favorites. And Millie, <laughs> in power. Millie Bobby Brown was born. Of Stranger Things yeah. fame. Jesus Bobby Christ. Yeah. Which Bobby Brown? Millie Bobby Millie Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. The Millie? kid who plays Seven in Stranger Things. Oh, come on, you've lost me. Yeah. Yeah. She meant to say 11 listeners, so please put down that oh, tweet. Sorry. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> as soon as you said the smoking ban, all I just straight away, uh, I think of the long haul on Georgia Street, because that's where the, the local where we, uh, you know, me and a lot of friends used to drink 
and then walking in there on the first night sticking to the carpet and the smell of it yeah. it was just putrid and uh, yeah it really kicked in but there was debates on the radio about they were like you know this is going to des- this is going to destroy the pub because <laughs> why would anyone go to a stinky room and you know with, with you know beer farts and you know mm. sweat and, and everyone like people were on the radio talking about like, this is a disaster you know and like down the country you know people come in and the smell of smoke covered up you know the the the, the shame of the, the male at the end of the evening you know yeah. the man at the end of the evening you know he's been working all day there's a smell there might be a bit of a scent off him and now he has to walk in and share that scent you know this kind of thing like yeah of course I went to see a, a comedian I can't remember what he was what his name was he's in a you know, in the victory, an older, an old kind of New York Jew, Jewish comedian. I don't remember, like, Morty Scheinfeld or something. And he, like, he was all the way through, he was smoking. And we were going, there's a loophole. You can smoke if you're on. There was some weird. Yeah, part of a performance, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a yeah, thing. Right. It's absolute right. nonsense. Yeah, yeah, some people kind of like, tr- they try for that. When I was at a gig this so, year okay. and someone like lit up, and I was like, I wonder if they get in trouble for that or can you get away with that for being a performance artist? Did you have to call the police outside or did you do it from Oh, the I immediately crowd? went, I ha- everyone, I'm making a citizen's arrest <laughs> at this <laughs> pop rock punk concert that I'm at. So the five songs, uh, the five albums that we decided to look at um, for this in, t- in 2004 were The Reddick Manifesto I Am Brazil The Frames Burn the Maps Jape The Monkeys in the Zoo Have More Fun Than Me Kathy Davies Something Ilk and The Thrills Let's Bottle Bohemia Okay Some heavyweight names did not make it though this time One in particular Yeah Who yeah. made every single revisit so far that they could be in <laughs> Yeah uh, It's actually You get the, You know The closer you get to, to now As you move up through the years The more albums there are um, and the more albums there are, you can find online. So 2004, there was, uh, you know, in the high 30s of albums, but that you could actually find there was maybe seven or eight that you couldn't find. One of them, which is a real shame, was Deccan O'Rourke's Since Kyabram. Now, you know, that was a huge album at the time. Um, half of it seems to be online through various kind of things. And it's a real shame because I think uh, you were certainly a, a big fan of that, Graham. I was indeed, yeah. Really fell in love Fell in love probably isn't the right way, but it moved me in so many ways. Around that period, there was so many singer-songwriters, you know, even more than there is now, doing the the usual kind of jingle-jangle vibe. And Declan appeared, and he just was so embracing, his uh, just his the melodies as well as the lyrics. And uh, when I heard him first, there was shivers straight away. And uh, just his lyrics, just beautiful poems, you know. I think that Alpha States had a, had a shout. The Ash album didn't get on. I don't. I don't think it's their best album. They had this weird thing where they had a, a pop album, then a medley album, then a pop album, then a, and it was kind of on the medley kind of a swing. And uh, but there is one song in it called Orpheus, which has got one of the best choruses. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought the Waiting Room album, Catering for Headphones, is really good. But for me, when it came down to that and Reddit Manifesto, which is I know a little bit lazy because they're both instrumental, but I just thought that was a really much better representation of that, you know. That's fair, mm-hmm. yeah. And of course, the uh, the underdogs from the underground that I mentioned there, without naming, you too you didn't two. make it. How yeah. to dismantle an atomic bomb? Which I believe there was a special iPod at the time, wasn't there? Like yeah. that's that's when they did the Apple deal, and Bono said that the uh, the iPod was the most important art invention since the electric guitar, which is one for the marketing bods to run and run with. Uh, that is, of course, the album with Vertigo. Everyone knows, which is a bit of a cringy single, I think. I don't think, I, like, after All You Can't Leave Behind, which is, I think, 2001. There's a transition for sure with this band around that kind of... But, like, you know, 
you could argue that everything they'd done up to that point was an attempt, I think, at, um, you know, being kind of best version of themselves. You know, like, oh, they can't leave it behind. Back to pop, which is a really interesting. They're pushing themselves, you know, as Europa, they're pushing themselves. Passengers, like, they're definitely, you know, acting baby. Even you go back as far as, um, uh, you know, Ratten on Home after, obviously, uh, um, Joshua Tree. Ratten on Home is like, they're doing something different. I don't think it necessarily works, but they're doing something. But then in, you know, the kind of 2000s after all they can't leave behind it's like that their 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 focus slightly shifts to I guess maybe being reclaiming their crown well as that's the, the thing I mean like, that was the quote that we said yeah. before like you know when they brought out uh, all you can't leave behind there was the quote like this was our job application to be the biggest band in the world again and it's like I think love you too hate you too it doesn't matter they definitely become less interesting after that time like they just do I mean even now you're like yeah you know they're still going and like you know there's still a going concern but they're not Have you heard those new that new single that they released they put out a couple there in the last yeah. couple yeah. of weeks and, and they're fine they're fine and like this is the thing you two are like an incredibly phenomenal band there will be statues to you two all over Dublin you know when all of them die when they're all 150 you know but you know like yeah, I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just find that hard <laughs> just, well, there needs to be a statue to Paul McGrath before there's a statue to you two very true I'm with you just on that just that out there that's fair one thing I would say about you two if you look at the timeline of when this is happening when the previous record came out, it was just as just turn of two thousand. Suddenly, when records stop selling, streaming and legal downloading of music uh, becomes bigger and bigger, then they put out a record. I think in their in their business sense, they realise: look, records are going to stop selling as much. We're going to make our mo- our money is all going to come from touring. So the album isn't the thing that it needs to be. Even if we kill ourselves making this, it's not going to sell as much as it did. And that's not for quality reasons. It's just the way the industry is. And maybe that seeped in a little bit. They think, well, the albums are kind of done. Selling music might be done because obviously they're very uh, far-sighted businessmen, musicians. This is the thing that everyone says is that business thing. So basically, the previous record is better, but then suddenly the industry changes, and maybe you two change with it, and and then suddenly became all about their tours and what's happening live, and the thing with the giant stage look like a crab, and everyone starts talking about how much money the tours make and how much is selling, and less critical focuses on the music because it doesn't need to be. Well, there's a couple of other, I mean, like it's a huge, as I say, an enormous amount of albums released this year. Um, the Cores, you know, just maybe wasn't their best album, wasn't stronger than on this list. Um, the Divine Comedy album, which actually is a really interesting album. But just, I don't know if it's, again, better. I don't think it's, I think it'd be up there. It would be on my uh, on my almost um, made it list. Um, and then the Republic of Loose album, which I think is really good. But I think their next album really ah, was their, their, their second album. Mm-hmm. And it was just, that was just them. You know, if, if I was ever going to, I just don't think, again, it was better than anything. Because like, I think this is a, a strong list. Was you know? the next one 2005? The next album after, um, no, I think it was 2006. Right. I think, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. Ah, you know, it was the album after. It's really weird saying the word ah. <laughs> <every time. laughs> Well, when, on the when, cover. when they came out though I, I just was like who is this mm. They these guys are mega because there was no other mega when was the last time I said that <laughs> 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 it was the second word I've used today but, but um, okay well let's concern ourselves with the actual list shall we and we'll kick off with oh my uh, gosh. A, con- start. a controversial band that you might say it's the thrills and whatever happened to Corey Haim so if I betray you, I won't be the first, you won't be the last, or something, or 
Okay, that's whatever happened to Corey Haim by the Thrills. A uh, question that they probably weren't to know how to would it ultimately have a tragic answer, unfortunately. The life of Corey Haim. And that's from Let's Bottle Bohemia, their second record, their follow-up to So Much for the City coming out just a year afterwards. Now, James Byrne, what are these lads all about? Um, I, I, I will have to say one thing about this album. It's incredibly frustrating to listen to this record knowing that they rushed into making it after their first record. And... Um, obviously the first album was huge quite top heavy as in the singles are really strong but the rest of the album is not as great mm-hmm. but it, I think the first album sold like a million copies or something it's huge so you, yeah. you can imagine then the buzz of that then they toured and they ended up making the album like within a year I think they're back in the studio less than a year after the first one was released which is insane to think of that uh, and then they went in and made the record and it sounds like an album that was made too soon um, it's half of it is good. It could have been way better. Um, it's fr- it's frustrating because you know, a bit more time. Uh, they sh- I think they ended up making it in the summertime, and then it was out in, in September of 2004, which is crazy. If they'd waited six months, took some time off, done some stuff, lived a bit, and made it at a slower pace and released it the following summer, summer of 05, it could have been fuller, more full of better songs. There's a few songs on it that, like when you're in a band or a songwriter, and you, you know half of it's great, and it just doesn't sound finished. And there's bits of chorus here, bits of middle eight there, and like, oh, just more of that, less of that. It doesn't sound fully realized. The other side of it is they completely made it with the wrong producer. And you can hear that as well. Dave Sardy, that producer, is a rock guy. His thing is guitars. He makes guitars and drums sound great in rock records. He's worked with Slayer, Helmet. He worked on the Jet record. And if you hear these albums, they're big sonic albums. And then he ends up working with a band that basically doesn't have any guitars in their songs. There's little bits, but it's just the wrong mix. Um, and I remember when their album was coming out, obviously when, when this album came out, I was in my early 20s, so it was right at my kind of period of, I was in bands, really caring about what was going on. And when I saw that they were straight in to make it with Dave Sardi, I knew that's the wrong mix, first of all. They should be making him. They should take some time and make an album with like Dave Friedman or something like that. Go in an interesting direction sonically, do some weird things, more texture. Just the idea of an album like that was far more interesting. Um, and because of that, because it was rushed, because it came out trying to capitalize on the buzz they, they had going into making it, you know, label pressure potentially, let's keep this going, guys. Obviously, when you're on the top of the, wor- on top of the world, you've sold a lot of records, you think you're the bee's knees. If someone says, you want to go make your album in New York for the next six weeks or whatever, you think, yeah, why not? We're, everything we touch is gold. And they went in, they made the album they made. They're not going to know that it's not ready. You know, and they make it, and everyone's obviously saying this is great. They put it out; it goes to number one in Ireland, sells a lot of copies as well. It's still sold a lot of copies, but the reviews basically mirrored what I just said. Oh, it's not; it's not fully finished. It sounds; uh, it's a bit light. Why did they, Why did they rush it out? Um, and I'm sure when they saw that, they regretted going in. Because I think I a lot of thrills get a lot of stick, and especially people of my generation who would have been in bands and of a similar age to the lads. I genuinely think the thrills are one of one one of the big what might have been stories of Irish music. I really do think there was something special about them, and they just didn't develop the way they should have. And I w- I think their their fourth or fifth or sixth album would have been incredible. Is this record completely to blame for that? Do you think? Like, or mm, yeah, because it sucked a lot of the hype out of what they were doing, and so much was based on hype mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when people suddenly go, "Oh, the thrills have lost it," everyone turns against them. They hadn't built up enough of a kind of deep loyal fan base yet because it was so so young and so new 
And I guess with the guys in the band, they made another record, then they broke up. Maybe being in a band, the hard part of being in a band, they didn't like as much as the easy part. I mean, I think the first tour they did was on a tour bus. You know, they never had to, they didn't do it the hard way. And not that you have to. A lot of the discussion at the time was, oh, they didn't earn it. You don't have to earn it. If you got the songs, you don't need to earn it. You're there straight away. The songs are what does the work for you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they were built for the for the hard yards, unfortunately. But there's some great stuff on it. And there's some, you know, it's just really frustrating knowing what the record it could have been. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I, I swear to God, I think, I just agree with every, everything you just said I was going to say. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that's a huge thing about the thrills is that they they arrived, boom, huge, you know, album, the first album, and then really quickly the next album, and then it yeah. seemed like it was already gone. Like if you if you went on holidays for two years, you know, which people do, and you came back, if you were if you lived away for two years and came back, and someone said the thrills, you wouldn't get it because it just mm. it happened so quickly, you know. Mm. But I agree. I think that there's hints throughout the two albums of huge potential. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And it's so funny because I was listening to that and I was going because I never thought that about the thrills really before I kind of really, you know, did a deep dive and, you know, this album or whatever. But I was like, wow, there's like, there's some really, really good stuff here. But I think that the band is kind of, yeah, steered in the wrong direction, maybe. <laughs> and this album is, is, this album isn't a great, the best bits of it hint at something exceptional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But the problem is that there, there's, you know, there's a couple of songs that are just... Oh, terrible. Just like not, not finished, just like need more songs. Yeah. And I mean, they had good people around them. They're on a good label good management good ever the team was strong the band was good they could all play it was there to be built i just think at the time and again going back to the time in the music industry you know labels were already panicking like streaming's going to hit us you know we have a hit we've got to continue that hit but the the bands that worked like that in the 60s had teams of songwriters behind them teams of musicians they could throw out two albums every year like it didn't matter the monkeys or the birds or or beach boys it could just, they could just plow it out with the thrills, they needed a bit of breath. They needed to stop, think it up, t- step away. Because I, I think Connor, who's the who was the main writer in the band, the singer, just some of his m- melodic ideas. Like not many Irish songwriters can write songs like "Big Sir" or "Don't Steal Our Son." Mm. They're just pop, pop, pop songs. You have that's just a gift you have for a hook, and he had that. And I I don't know if the, this the fact that they had a hit and this wasn't seen as much of a hit sucked the life out of them and they lost confidence or whatever, but. I just, if they just got the right producer, giving it a bit of time, another five or six strong songs. Did they have a third album? They yeah. did. It came out about three or four years later. Teenager it, in 2007. And, it, and again, it was like, oh, there's some really good songs on this, but no one seemed to care then. And, and they how, were. How did the third album? Not good. It, they got dropped on the back of it, basically. Really? It was like, weird I read about this. And it's weird, because I was like, within three years of them putting out the first record, they're Somebody drunk. cared about that 2007 record. I've uh, images of a of a young Zara Hedeman popping along to a Terror Records in-store with yeah. besotted eyes in the corner. Yeah, so like... Uh, <laughs> okay, here, yeah. here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Scandal. Yeah, so when I was 15 in 2007, that's when um, Teenage came out. And instantly I, like, fell in love with the band for many reasons. Um, and I remember I saw them live in Tower Records on Wicklow Street and they did like a live in-store and they were like really good, mm. like really great. And I was more so familiar then with that third album. Again, it is kind of, it's half great, half kind of like, Ooh, and you skip quite a few songs. Um, and then I went, like worked backwards. I kind of was more familiar with 
the songs from the first album then I never really got into Let's Bottle Bohemia until the last week um, and I found like a oh, great what do, you, what do you mean the last week Th- like last just last week. week oh this like last, last week yeah, sorry yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. you meant something around no not still 15 no 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 um, <laughs> and then so yeah I completely agree I found it so frustrating to listen to Let's Bottle Bohemia because you're just like they nothing sound they sound very naive I feel mm. especially lyrically lyrically like I listen to my music a lot of the time when I'm walking because I've been no distractions and last night in particular I was walking into town and there was quite a few things that like I was tired as well but there was a few moments that really just it was like a brick hit me in the face where there's one about um the the rape line okay uh well let's just clarify that one uh, so there's a song there's a song that apparently apparently peter book of orem is on i saw that yeah. 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 I don't know. I the, curse of the curse of comfort and yeah. that's that's probably the best song in a record that's well a it has song. it has a lyric on there yeah. that says and i yeah. quote the suburbs dream tonight of finding their muse damn those rape victim writers and their five-star reviews Am I missing something here, or is that just a really bad way of phrasing his kind of acrimony towards say, bad say it reviews? Again. What does he say? Uh, the suburbs dream tonight of finding their muse. Damn those rape victim writers and their five star reviews. Now, no, I, I thought I thought that he was saying that because uh, he was talking about early in the song. He talks about you know things affecting his artistic output. Mm. Yeah, and like let's bottle Bohemia. Mm. Like let's. Like let's create issues so we can ha- write songs about them. Okay. So that seems to be like damn people who have had terrible things done to them so because they have stuff to write about and I think that I took it as like kind of a Kelly Jones stereophonics Mr. Writer type thing where he's like giving out about journalists gave him a bad review now whether I'm whether no, I'm no, totally off base or not I, mean, no. I think he means writer as in songwriters right yeah, it's writers, five star, but, yeah. and their five star reviews yeah, because there's more depth to their songs because they've gone through stuff in life and so as a result Again, they got stronger views because one thing that was always picked up with the thrills is they haven't what are all these boys in Dublin singing about yeah. proms and yeah, LA from Black and Rock? Was like, the get over your J one, yeah, all like, kinds of stuff. But then, but, but then yeah. you're like, yeah, but the hooks and the songs. Yeah. And the other thing that kind of lets this band down a little bit is like Connor, the singer's voice wasn't mega strong. There's Graham's word again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but, but the, other, the kind of bands that they were compared to. It was all about the harmonies and the grouped harmonies. No one else really sang. There was no. There was space for harmonies in this record. Space for harmonies in this band, mm. which they may have happened upon. Like there's a lot of songs on this record that would have sounded great as a duet between him and, and a female voice. Mm. The strings on this album that are so whimsical, misplaced. They're so whimsical. They're, they're so yeah. Like, yeah. And you're no, like, what? If you put like the thing about putting strings in a record is nothing sucks the air out of a song like strings. Jesus, I don't know. You I, have I, to earn strings, I, I, and there's just like they're just thrown on songs, and it's just like there's one song, uh, um, not for all the love in the world, which is oh god, re- it's a beautiful, beautiful song, but it's too fast, <laughs> and the strings on it, and the producer is not right, and it's just they need someone in the room going, no lads, this is how to do it. Um, it definitely sounds like a much bigger production mm. than their first album and I was just like fair play to you lads now Connor sorry for saying this um, but I didn't like the lyrics mm. generally at all I just um, even with the first album was not a fan of the lyrical content at all it was so simple it was so just like it was it was the 
purposely written for teenagers. And know, referencing stuff teenagers. that he didn't wouldn't have experienced. Oh, yeah. 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 Here's the funny thing. I think the lyrics is, are, are, are an issue on this. There's three things in like on this album. Right? There's sex, right? Yeah. And sex is everywhere. So sex mm. on is mentioned either the word sex, hooker, virgins, lust, humping, rape, one night stands is in every song except mm. one. Like, right. do you know what I mean? Like, it's everywhere in the album. Jesus. America is on uh, almost every song except for two. Starts really and trying to break it in the And then the third thing that's on this is um, what it means to make it a sort of a, mm. as a lo- loose thing. There's stuff right. about, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, not being a, a, a path. What does it say? The streets not being made of gold. There's stuff about top forty nightclubs and top forty songs, and there's stuff about. Um, I think uh, he literally says things about make like literally. Yeah, and then there's, made uh, and there's like, a song, yeah. the, the comfort song about artistic freedom, and you know, it's just you can. That's what was in their head. That's what they were worried about. And the, the, now you said naivety, and I think mm. that there is. Mm. A and lot I, of naivety, you know. I think even which lets like, it down, you know. Yeah, I think even after like the album came out when they had to promote it, I feel like there was just very little convi- conviction. The other side is n- n- none of them have gone on. Connor, who was the main writer, and what's he done since the thrills? He hasn't gone on like I, I know. I know that I'm going to do another project, and I've got these songs. He's recorded some yeah. solo stuff that I've played on with I, him. What, what was it sound? It was, was it was it was different. Yeah, it wasn't thrills. Okay, okay, it was Trills esque. Yeah, but it shows that he's, you know, aspiring to move on. You know, because I well, gen- genuinely think he's got there's he something has. about him as a writer that it's 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 when I say they're like a lost band, mainly because he's not he didn't go on to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you want do you want to give a shout out for them to reform? Yeah, but here's a genuine question. Would, that would if, be if, here's a genuine yeah. question, right? If like if if a 15 year anniversary, let's say for the first album, it will be next year. If they got together and said, "Oh, the Thrills are back to celebrate," they're going to do the UK Irish tour, and they announce the gig. Where would the gig be? Would it be? Would they sell out Vicker Street? Would Wheelins? they sell out the Olympia? Would they sell out Wheelands? Would they want to do that? No. Like, wh- where is the fan base for the Thrills? I don't hear them on the radio a lot. I don't hear them You'd as this kind of sacred band. San Diego, maybe. I'd love them to do that. Be like, yeah, here's their first record. It sold like a million copies. And let's let's do let's celebration tour. Why not? Because. Like what played them initially, like people just didn't take, won't take them seriously. Like, you hear a lot of like successful bands in Ireland now that get on the radio a lot. Uh, they can't sniff half the thrill songs. There's not, there's a bunch of bands I don't name, but they're on the radio all the time and they're big. Like they don't have any songs that goes the first. Oh, thrills I, I completely agree. <laughs> and, and, and it's like yeah, they have these fans. So if that's the kind of fan base the thrills become, I'd I'd like to see it, and I'd like to see what the thrills saying like in their thirties, a little yeah. haggard. Okay. I have to, uh, I, ha- I have to move it on because okay. we could actually talk about the thrills for an entire episode. As it turns out, they are a fascinating uh, discussion point, and I-, I think it's great that we've gotten this far. But we have four other albums to talk about, <laughs> and we'll never get out. Uh, but let's have a completely different song of a completely different style. This is the Redneck Manifesto.
That was Hibernation Statement by the Redneck Manifesto, who are preparing a comeback, I believe. They've got a new album on the way. Supposedly. They're recording a new album at the yeah, moment. I think yeah. it's finishing up now. Yeah, no, it it was, they recorded it uh, just after we left. We, we were recording. Big T up in Donegal. Up in Big okay, T. Okay, so Kieran McGinnis, who the hell are the Redneck Manifesto if people haven't heard of them before? Well, the Redneck Manifesto. The Redneck Manifesto are a, a, um, a four slash five piece slash six piece instrumental band. You know, it's you know to pigeonhole them. They're kind of alternative. They're instrumental. They're you know math rock. They're, whatever. They're they're kind of an instrumental pop guitar band. You know, there's a lot of I say pop because there's a lot of melody. They're really good at melody. So um, that, you know, I think I think I don't think pop in a negative. I mean, pop in like a skilled way. Um, so this is their third album. I am Brazil. Um, it was recorded in Black Box in France. Um, it was their first album as a five piece. Um, and it's a. Uh, it's just a really, really, <laughs> it's a really, really good example of how to make a really engaging, exciting um, instrumental uh, guitar album. There's, I know this sounds ridiculous because it's, um, it's instrumental music, but there's like a there's a sense of fun about it. There's a like there's a there's a, a kind of a, a a joy in it. There, there's also a really good um, the album as a, as a whole. It's re, it's paced really well, you know. So the first couple of tracks are like just bangers, you know, and they're it's really you know the classic kind of redneck manifesto sound, I suppose, at this stage, which is the first track, I Am Brazil, which is which is just a brilliant song. It's really warm. It's really kind of um, rich. It's got. It's just there's a lot of deft skill involved in it. And most of it was played live, which is amazing as well. Then it moves on and there's a couple more tracks um, in, in that kind of vein. And then track four and five and that track uh, hibernation statement, as you said, kind of give it a break and then bring in a different kind of sound to it. And then they go back straight again with Bring Your Own Blood, which is the heaviest song on the album. So it's actually paced really well. So I think what you're listening to here is like um, a five piece. It's primarily behind the guitars. You know, there's a lot of you know, kind of, they would have this kind of signature. I presume it's Matty who plays guitar. Um, it is this kind of hammer on, kind of sound. He's hammering and dra- dragging the note. There's that signature sound all the way through the album. Um, just to kind of, you know, summarize it, it's always kind of engaging. It's always melodic. It's always interesting. They're really good at throwing in a time signature change or a feel change if, in case anything gets boring. Um, but overall, it's got great atmosphere, great kind of, they're really good at tension and release, you know, building and building and building, and then boom, it's, you know, it's kind of an explosion of, of that. The yeah, only thing I'd that, say um, that's negative about it, and I, I do think it's important to say this. Careful. <laughs> Jesus. Rednecks, man. How yeah, can you yeah. do this? Well, I think that's the thing. I, I mean, they were talking about the Can you say Bell. anything negative with the Rednecks? No, I can. I can. I think that the only thing I'd say about it is, is that sometimes the tracks, you know, the Redneck sound is very throughout the album. So, you know, I don't. Uh, Are you trying to avoid the word "samey" here? There's a bit of sameyness, but it's actually, very samey. There's a there, there's a lot of repetition because. But see, the thing is, it's groove based, so it's groove based, but it's not funky. Yeah, that's one thing I would say about the yeah, next. No, I don't think it's they, trying to be funky though. No, but maybe it should have been. I think so. I find. Uh, I well, see, it's too sharp to be funky. It's, it's very difficult to say. It should have been. Mm. The rednecks are what they are. Those human beings that are the rednecks, musically are what they are. Mm. So you can't just say to a person, a group, become yeah. funky. Because what comes out of their their, their blood, <clears throat> their souls, is what they generate and what it is what Absolutely. it is. So you can't just shape them to play in a different capacity. But they, they, they're, that's the thing with the rednecks, when, when they're a four-piece, because I would have I seen them 
let's go back in the day a little bit, but the bands they were in beforehand, like Jack Beast, uh, the Waltons, these like like pivotal hardcore bands in the, in the uh, late nineties in Dublin, just incredible, incredible bands. And I was young, so really kind of heavily influenced by that. When I heard they were forming this band, the Supergroup. It blew my mind. So when I saw them first, yeah. and basically, there's maybe one other Irish band I won't name who I've seen because I work with them, uh, who've had the same live impact. The when uh, the Rednecks in early 2000s. Delorendos. The Rednecks in there's like no Irish bands that can't can't couldn't touch them and still really can't. When it was the four of them, this kind of breathing, yeah. intense unit on stage, just incredible live. The first two records are brilliant. Really raw, really just intense, and you got it, and it made you want to go see them live. The thing with the Rednecks is, I I feel that they're they're the most they have the most influence on the people that saw them live. Mm. Yes. I don't think the records had the influence that them as a live entity did. And when they did expand to four, five, and then six, it changed the band live. And maybe the records became more influential, but they became less impactful for me live. And I don't want to kind of back in my day. I remember the early stuff, but really. If you, I'm, I'm sure you got to see them. I'm sure a bunch of you guys to see them in like 2000, 2001 kind of time. Just like incredible. But the, I, I, the I, one I, thing I would say, but sorry, about the funk thing is, there's moments on this record, particularly in the song "Take Us On," where they break into like a disco funk groove. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, if you think about what was happening in New York at the time and all these bands that were making dancing music, because you couldn't go to a Rednecks gig really and dance. It was very much like. Like the, how oh, you move, yeah, how head nod. Oh, yeah. But when they kick into that, it's like, wow, you can dance to this just for a little bit. And yeah. there's a moment to that. And I don't know if the lads, I know Richie, obviously, what he went on to with Jape, and it's all about dance and have a good time. Yeah. I just think if they, if that, if they'd been more influenced by that, and at that point in their career, has been really into that stuff with this record, with Dave Odlum in the studio, their playing was phenomenal. I would have loved to have heard heard a danceable Rednecks record. Yeah. Well, I, but there's a couple of moments that show, like, I have, like, uh, you know, there's sort of, uh, so there's Paint the Dick Blocks Pink, um, there's We Still Got It, and there's Take take On Us. And in, in those songs, section of those, of those songs are really groovy and mm. really, and really, I, not funk, they're never funky because yeah. they're not trying to be funky, but they're really groovy and they have a real. But there's a difference between, skank, you, can't, you, know? you can't necessarily dance to groovy music, you dance to stuff that's dancier. And I think with the Rednecks, and this is another thing with them and the, 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 the fellas they were, they were held in such high regard by the musicians and people in Dublin that they were almost, you can't say boo about the Rednecks because they're amazing and they're a real band and they were kind of almost like the kings of the scene. I remember when I first they met still, them, I was so... They, they, you said were. They well, they still, still kind of are. are. They're still, they're kind of almost like in awe of them. And when I was young and they're three or four or five years older than me, they're like, oh my God, there's Maddie from Rednecks, there's Niall, you go see them. They're, and it's weird because it is Dublin band playing in front of a couple hundred people that's not like this super massive band but I just felt I feel like the way they play their their individual styles are so distinctive the way Merv plays drums you know it's him straight away that they they it still sounds like them that's why you say the samey approach it doesn't really sound samey to me but they just have their style and that's how they play that's how the songs fit together I just would have liked them to be a bit sillier like have a bit more silly throw a cowbell just be, be silly there's nothing wrong with being a bit more fun that's one thing um, when I was listening to it because Rednecks, this was my kind of introduction to them. So I obviously I never got to see them live. And when I was listening to this album, I was thinking to myself quite a lot. It's like 
this album isn't clicking with me. I'm not really enjoying it so much, but it's an album that I'm sure if I saw it live, mm. it's not something to sit down and listen to or even have in the background. It's something to experience. So for me, I was like, maybe that's if I had a different kind of experience or kind of relationship to the album that like you guys would have maybe it'd be different but also as well because I was I'm not going to say that you guys seem to be quite not blinded by like the superiority of them that they seem to have I also just didn't think like listening to this and this album is 13 years old now I didn't think it aged very well I think it sounds a little dated and I think Mm -hmm. it sounds very much of its time Um, and for that it wouldn't have been one of my favourite albums. I think even the influence that the Rednecks have had over so many instrumental bands, Irish instrumental bands, Northern Irish uh, instrumental bands has been ridiculous. That they've all kind of come to light over the last, let's say even the last six, seven years. Not that the lads, not that the Rednecks like our granddads or whatever, but we're all... (laughs) We're all ancient at this stage. <laughs> but uh, I remember, like you said, I do remember seeing them first. I, do, I forget, in the funnel. Do you remember the funnel? Yes. And <laughs> I, I, t- I forget who they were opening up for. Where was the funnel? Uh, it, was on the, it was on the keys. It's down near uh, where the Ulster Bank headquarters is. It's the next bunch of buildings in there. It's been turned into whatever offices yeah. now, but it was a tiny little venue, bar downstairs, venue upstairs. That was it. Great, unbelievable! Great great Saw time. Elliot Smith there. <laughs> no, really. And I, oh my God, I got, I got to shake his hand. <laughs> Saw there him there on his own, and uh, that was another life changing experience. You lads, go should go and have your own podcast. But, <laughs> yeah, but here was here was something that so I think it was I think there it might have been. Do you remember Billy Mahoney? Yeah, I think yeah. they were open up for Billy Mahoney. It might have been there. They were. I think it was. He will ask ask Richie or Maddie, they'll be able to tell us, any of the lads. But then there was this band called the Redneck Manifesto. They were a brand new band, opened it up, and they were like, holy shit, who are these? And I stood right up the front. Every song that they played was knocking your head back and forward. And I don't care what you say, James, I was grooving and rocking. I was and zooming up and down, jumping around, yeah. but I wasn't. Do you know what I mean? But, My dancing, just like oh yeah, just clubby dancing. Like we're talking. Yeah. We're talking a lot about the live thing. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Hey, hey listen, okay, that's what I'm okay. moving on to. Hold on, hold your horses. But then um, they went on to record, and I've got everything they've recorded, and I do love I Am Brazil. Um, and when I knew they were going to Black Box in France, the the most popular and busiest studio in Ireland. Uh, I, I w- it was really exciting because w- with uh, David Adlam, uh, the prospect of it being a really live sounding, uh, just brilliant album to really represent the Rednecks, it was exciting. And don't, I, I have told the lads this, um, had the potential to be a great album. I don't think it shines as much as they are live. And I, I really don't think it has shined as much, none of the recordings have shined as much as they are live. I adore the Redneck Manifesto and uh, nothing they've recorded, like I said, has been as good as going to a Redneck's gig, standing there, um, 
the majority, it's about like maybe 80, 20, maybe, maybe 70, 30 of lads. Everybody, none of, your, none of this iPhone business. It's just everybody standing there with heads going mm. back and forth. Yeah. Everybody is just having a laugh. Richie <laughs> down the front just getting everybody going. Serious faces. But you know those serious faces are everybody having a laugh Absolutely. just to throw in my own live lot here because I might as well uh, I saw them before I heard them and I saw them at like um, sporting battles I think it was 2007 yeah. 2008 right. and I'd never seen them before didn't know who they were and I was amazed I was blown away and I was also amazed and blown away by the fact that Richie was able to do a death stare at the entire audience yeah. while gurning yeah, yeah. and never looking at his instrument <laughs> or what he was doing and almost jogging on the spot as if he was challenging the crowd to match his energy mm, great. It was. I've never seen it like it before yeah. or since yeah. it was amazing but mm. I do agree that the record it's a, it's a great advertisement to go see them live and then go mm. see them live then that's Absolutely a better thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I think I think it's a, I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I, like I, I like listening to instrumental music when I'm working. Um, I like listening to instrumental music when I don't have to. You know, if I'm if I'm typing stuff up or if I'm like you know doing fucking shitty admin stuff like you know. What do you whatever. mean specifically by? instrumental music I mean stuff that doesn't have lyrics I see if I have lyrics in my ears I pay attention to them and I, that's yeah. you know mm. that's one of my main disabilities I can't I can't write something while there's lyrics I can barely walk at the same time as listen to music you know I can't yeah. make a cup of tea while I'm listening to podcasts I have to I'll just lie mm, down okay. but if there's lyrics in, in a song I'll listen to the lyrics and it'll take away my thought process you know yeah. so I can't be doing two things at once when I have lyrics so I would listen to a lot of instrumental music like this and the next album actually Seven Seven Stabs which is kind of a mini album after this is one of the, my most listened to mm. albums ever you know yeah, right. it absolutely is Fr- Friendship's a great record Friendship's a really good record and that's much yeah. more like, that brings a lot more of the thing you're yeah. talking about yeah. 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 when when when, uh, when Glenn joined the band and there was two keyboards yeah. synthy textures and they expand as a band but I, I still want to listen to their first two records more than I want to hear this and maybe that's just because at the time they had more of an impact on me. But they're they're they are one of the Irish bands that was incredible when they started and have developed and stayed interesting and stayed great. And anything they do, I want to hear because they're just they've just developed and grown and and um, matured as a band and it's cool. Okay, well uh, let's spoil ourselves here and have some more from Richard yeah. Egan. <laughs> we'll uh, check out his Jape project and see what they are up to around the time of the second record. This is The Monkeys in the Zoo Have More Fun Than Me and the song is Floating. That's Floating by Jape, quite a breakthrough song, a uh, song that can tell a story all by itself. But to tell us the story of this record and how she feels about it, it's Zara Hederman. Um, so it's actually quite interesting um, in the way that we were talking about The Thrills released an album in 2003 and then came back quite quickly in 2004 with their second album. Uh, Richie Egan did 
pretty much the same thing um, as Jape. So Cosmophere was his debut as Jape. He released that in 2003. Um, Orty, when that came out, reviewed it and they said they slated him for saying that he wasn't a convincing electronic producer. Um, and pr- like one of Egan's like main reasons for like having the band with him was because he didn't want to like he had these songs but he didn't want to just like be on a stage by himself because as you said earlier um there was a lot of like singer songwriters like Lechno Rourke at that time so he kind of wanted to stand out a little bit more um so uh the monkeys in the zoo have more fun than me has like the lead single floating uh infamously Brendan Benson of the Rack and Tours and lots of other projects uh was in Whelan's one night overhears the song being played and was like Jesus this is great um decides goes back uh, presumably to Nashville to Jack White and is like look heard the song let's cover it didn't even ask uh Richie before they did the cover um and then he just like cold called him one day and was like hey um really loved that song um I've actually covered it with my band I hope that's okay and Egan was just like yeah cool like you didn't ask me but like if you had if I would have said yeah but deadly and then like so that like really kind of ballooned uh japes uh profile i guess um and made him quite big and then followed up with was it the ritual, ritual in 2007 that one like the choice prize my i really love this album um i think it's great my main gripe and it's actually interesting. <laughs> no, it's not like a, it's You're not. Do that every time. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't so, sure about. It. So, um, in 2015, in an interview, uh, Richie was like talking about like his whole like uh, process going into the studio and like how he writes songs um, and like he really wants to try and make sure that like the 10 songs that he puts on an album work. He doesn't want to put anything on that like he feels doesn't fit. I feel that floating for okay so for me the sequence of the track list on this album is totally wrong. I I think yeah. that and I've actually done an alternative one. Oh handy. Give it to him for the reissue. Yeah. Yeah. In the best handwriting I have yeah. to say. The, the handwriting is incredible. <laughs> we had this conversation earlier on before we came over here. I was like Zara your handwriting is ridiculous. That's really like messy posting, as well. That posting picture. We'll take a photograph of and put it on Twitter um, for the world to know. So anyway, so this album opens with Floating. The biggest single it's such a huge song. It's so familiar. Even if you're not a massive um, fan of Japer, you're not that familiar with him. You'll uh, like you will know floating. Um, so that opens, and then the whole. It's interesting that he said that thing about all the ten songs like fitting yeah, together yeah. because I feel that the songs on this album don't really fit together. Well, some floating do. Floating is totally different. Floating is so rogue on that album. It is ridiculous. And it's the opening track, which is, it's so, just so weird. Yeah, if you, were, if you, if you loved, if you loved Floating and you went and you bought the album, you'd be like, what's... Why would what I bother this? But I, yeah. <laughs> so I um, was listening to it and I was like, this just isn't sitting with me properly. So I tried To The Sea at the start. Oh, yeah. So if you put To The Sea at the start... And then it kind of, at the end of it, it goes, it kind of reaches that like 
level where floating then picks up from okay so it's a much nicer kind of like flow into the songs where you're like so you've had this like ease into the album to the season is a really lovely song as well um floating comes in you're like jesus then if you go into always new it's a better follow-up to floating ah, than no 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 always can, new is an amazing can closer you, for can a you record. sing us uh, can you sing us a little bar of each song while you're oh jesus you don't want to that. <laughs> just so we get a kind of rough Absolutely idea no. Yeah, no, I, did, I, think, I think i think you've nailed it there i mean one of the the big things about this i think it really works as a kind of it's an, i think it's a really interesting companion piece to uh, the rednex album because you know the rednex album as you said earlier on like you know the rednex are super cool and no one can touch them and everyone just stands in their shadow amazing but like the one thing about that is the rednex is it's a cool record and you know cool can sometimes be cool. austere it can be a bit cold <laughs> you know it's sharp you know it's 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 got an aggression to it whereas the, the monkey in the zoo album it's it's really sweet like mm. there's some really kind of it's, sweet notions yeah. there's some it's like joyful and it's also in a kind of a you know it's less cool i, I don't it's 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 not you know bad but what, what i mean is it's like it's not worried about being cool it's kind of just like open and it's very sweet honest and like, honest yeah. and uplifting and i think it's really it's really really interesting that, you know, when people do a solo album or whatever you want to call it, Jape, I suppose at this stage it's not necessarily a solo album, but um, a solo act. When you're 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 trying to do the thing that you can't do in your main band, sort of, or you're you're trying to have an, a, a musical outlet, and it really feels like it's like really far away mm. from what the Rednecks stuff was. But then my what I felt was a much better closer for this album is the hardest thing to do because that one sounds. Production wise as well, very, very different, I think, to everything else because That's like song, so, um yeah. it's just his voice, it's just like a guitar. Um it sounds very like homemade and like just in his living room. Um and it has a really nice fade. I'm disagreeing. So. I'm disagreeing on the, on, on this closing business. Well, look, always so you did always the same new. thing. No, no, I did not because no, I, no, respected the man's, I respected the man's <laughs> art and I didn't go and tamper with his track listing. I left it as it was. I think always new is an amazing closer because I think it, 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 like this this is a quite a raw album in parts. There's not much polish. I'm curious if it was made on a micro budget. I assume it was. Mm. Well, there's a couple of the, like, you know, if you when, you when people talk about things being sounding produced what sure. they're generally saying I suppose in a basic level is it doesn't sound like if you went to see them in a gig it wouldn't sound like that sure okay you know for, so if the Rednecks is about the right level of production I think it's good you know the Kathy Davey one is underproduced and this one J-Pow album is kind of it's, it's you would get that if you went to see this gig. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You would get pretty much. But like, this. if you so look at something like Always New, I mean, like, like the acoustic guitar strings offer as much heft and presence as the percussion, which eventually joins the fray, and the vocals are kind of buried down a little bit in a very deliberate way, I would imagine. And like, I think it actually captures this kind of atmosphere, not unlike Bonnie Vera's first record. That kind of like you know, you're you're being brought into this very kind of intimate space. Uh, but I would agree with Kieran. It is a, is definitely an interesting juxtaposition, you might say, uh, mm. with the other record. Uh, James, what do you think? I I'm really I find Richie a really really interesting songwriter. And more name drops, more little James Humblebrags. I actually put <laughs> out his first ever solo song on a college album I did when I was in Body Firm in 2002. And it was under the Richard Egan name. Hold on a second. Autumn Summer. You released the, the Dead Languages. Your, the Dead Languages. That was on me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Shout out to Laura Murphy as well. Oh, they they booked us. So I put that out and I remember... I met Richie oh, and I said, I want to use a Rednecks, but I, I don't know if you guys are chilled out enough. It's going to be quite a chill record. And he said, well, I have, I'm doing some solo stuff now if you want to hear it. And he sent me, like, I still have it at home. I think it was like a, a tape or maybe a, a CD of just really rough home demos. 
and we I used one of those recordings for Autumn Summer, and from that then on, I've been really interested in how he's going to develop. So the first record I really like, and as he becomes a better producer, and obviously what Jape sounds like now is a kind of a dance party, and he's very adept in the studio. There's loads of synths. He knows what oh, yeah. he's doing with mics and stuff. This is the point. The second record of just when he's opening his kind of production skills more, and it sounds a bit more. He knows what he's doing but without losing the charm of it being a little rough and ready. And mm. this is probably why, it, this is probably my favourite Jape record, because it captures that. Mm. The ones after that, Ritual, they're brilliant albums, they're f- kind of f- much fuller sounding and uh, uh, really lovely sounding albums, but there is, as Zara said, something about this that's just, it's a little fragile, it's not muscular like the Rednecks, it's not, it doesn't sound super confident, It it, does, it it's, he's letting far more of himself out. It's, there's much more charm to this record mm-hmm. and at the same time obviously in Ireland there's a lot of singer-songwriters putting out records and half of them aren't as charming as this mm-hmm. and half of them aren't as uh, ju- I, they're not as engaging and I, I think know, lyrically as well Richie's a really great lyric writer and he doesn't get he really the, he doesn't is, yeah. get yeah. the yeah. kind of kudos that he, that I don't he think should he does, just yeah, I agree straight up as a just lyrics regardless of melody just really funny and yeah. obviously if you, if you know Richie's got like a he's just a really funny guy I don't want to do like the, the, the comparison thing too much because I don't like doing it but ultimately what I would say is I think if I had heard this record before I heard uh, Bright Eyes when they brought out like I'm yeah. like it's more in the following year I probably would have just fallen in love with this the way I fell in love with that record. Uh, there's similarities, I think. And again, a lot of it comes down to um, that kind of nakedness and the lyrics and just... The, 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 but, but the thing with Conor Oberst is it's always slightly po-faced. It's always yeah. slightly like, I'm wearing a cardigan. Oh. I was very angsty <laughs> it's, it's in 2004, 2005. <laughs> it's a bit damp in here, but I've opened the window so it's damp. And I know I'm, making it, I'm making me feel like this. It wasn't this. really a cardigan. Away, Richie, like. just, Richie's just more believable. Yeah, and Connor Ober starts brilliant songs and stuff, but Richie, I just just bought it a bit more, and I it was I just I don't know two, two things. Are, two things you just said. I mean, like lyrically, I like that he writes lyrics in a way that a lot of people don't, and there's a, a, a you know there's it's like a there's a lack of polish, yeah. But in the in the lack of polish, there's an honesty, you know, and it's the same with the vocals. I think the vocals, you know, he doesn't always he doesn't always, you know sing in tune I suppose mm. that sounds really reductive I don't mean but he doesn't, doesn't his voice has gotten better no 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 I, I don't, oh, that's I don't, but I, I don't think it's bad I think I think what it sounds like he's doing is that he's telling you a story and yeah yeah it doesn't say, like I love like I'd hate someone to auto-tune the shit out of that yeah. it would lose a lot of it I, I, I really like it's the way like, it's like uh, substance over style like with the lack of po- like I mean like as in like there's no like polish where it's like it doesn't matter like how it's like yeah, he hasn't veneered, to like it's to just like it's fix that up yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But like, he, he spe- obviously clearly spent time making a record writing the songs. Yeah. Doesn't sound unfinished. No, it no. just it is what it is. It's the best he could do at the time, and it's really good. And it's just of all the all the songs on this, all the sorry, all the albums on this list, it's the one that's still sounds the freshest and still mm. sounds the most charming, and the one yeah. I can't care about the most. Well, I am. I I love this album around this period myself and Richie and Maddie from the Rednecks were all doing gigs with David Kitt mm. and it was just a great period so a lot of um, a lot of days there'd be sound checks or rehearsals playing a lot of Richie songs and then um, Hold on a second sorry. You played the drums on this album is that right? I do yeah Ah Jesus I was going to say that's one of the bad size records his drums just don't sound well, I cool. don't play on those <laughs> songs. That's, you must so be mixing I me up. I don't believe... No, no. Which songs are you no, talking no, no, about? <laughs> I'll shine now. I don't know. <laughs> Graham's great. 
There, I said Thanks. It. Uh, you said it. <laughs> yeah, I said it. So um, <laughs> there was uh, several gigs, even Kitzer gigs, I think, where Richie kind of played songs and stuff. It was just brilliant. And I remember he recorded uh, loads of this album on the studio on Middle Abbey Street. And it was just such a happy period. I remember setting up my drums and I lived in Ratgar. And I remember you, Shouts uh, James, D6. Yeah, because you were working in the... Was it super value? No, no, no. A certain, a certain off license change. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I remember. Very well established. Yes. And I remember going into you and uh, you serving me in yeah, there yeah. or whatever and you talking drums with me yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But I, I remember then going into you. But I, I, instead of going in my car, I took the, um, the fitness approach and used to cycle into Middle Abbey Street to record uh, this Richie's album, the Jape album. And it was really good fun and I'd play drums on a few things or else if I wasn't playing drums I'd be playing shakers and stuff like that. And the live room was actually a gym. Uh, it was like a dance studio. It was a dance studio, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you've recorded it in that place. No, I, I, I was in I was in that studio at the time when you were making it. Right, I remember okay. being in there and I said something like, there was obviously a big mirror on the wall. Yes, there was. Because it's a dance studio. It's like, what do you do? You faced a mirror. Does that not yeah. reflect? Oh, anything? God. It's like, no. I don't know. It's I had weird to put setup. my back to myself, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and it was ju- I just remember it being a really happy time. And then for my own, uh, that, no, that was just a while before that. I remember it was when Richie started his solo, you know, venture. And he just became... Uh, Jape and my own solo project Taillight and he came out and did gigs and he was doing them on his own either acoustically or with the electric and he had a bit of a drum machine as well yeah. and it was a re- for the both of us I remember being really kind of uh, hitting each other's backs going you can do this <laughs> and his way of dealing with that was to uh, go to the local and get an ossified I remember this being playing the stable at the stables in Mullingar and he'd come back to uh, before his gig absolutely ossified and do the gig and it didn't matter he still did the gig absolutely amazing there was probably about one and a half people at the gig never mind two people but we had a laugh so as soon as this album came out um, it's just been absolutely fantastic and it's difficult to say when you're actually on an album but uh, I just, I'm really proud of it. And it's it's something that you can listen to easily, you know. And I remember uh, Richie being in the box when the raconteurs uh, in the Olympia played Floating. And I think he recorded it on his phone and took pictures of himself with the raconteurs in the background. And then uh, sent, at the, he obviously did it to a lot of people he sent me the picture and I remember being so proud it's going our oh, result result <laughs> which was brilliant you know uh, so yeah lots of memories of this album lots of great memories of this album well on that lovely note we'll move on to our fourth record it's Kathy Davy. it's Something Ilk and it sounds like this anymore it won't be so easy big bass
that's Come Over by Kathy Davy from Something Ilk. Now, before we say what we think about this record, I'm going to tell you what she thinks about this record. She's not a fan. Speaking to former guest of the revisit, John Marr, for the Irish Independent in 2009, ahead of the release of her album Tales from Silversleeve, he noted that the album sounds remarkably different than this one, her debut. And she said, I'm really happy about that because I never liked Something Ilk at all. I think the record company thought I was an indie rock chick when they signed me and that album is very much other people's idea of what I should sound like. I was working with a name producer, Ben Hillier, and I didn't have the confidence to say no to some of the things he suggested. I didn't trust my own instincts well enough. And I know that I didn't turn out to sound like the way that they wanted me to. And basically she went on, he asked you know, how, how are dealings with your record label these days? And she said she doesn't have a huge amount of dealings with them because they focus on artists that actually sell albums, people like Kylie Minogue. <laughs> so it sounds fairly bittersweet for a debut album. And I can understand where she's coming from from a point of view. And again, I don't want to just lean on kind of sound alike because that is a bit lazy. But what I will say is before I even read that quote, uh, especially when you listen to the first track on this record, I was like, Gemma Hayes, yeah, I can, I, I, yeah. I, I can hear it. I mean, like it does have that kind of, you know, rock chick thing. Mm. And at the same time, there's a bit of whimsy here as well. I mean, like it's not entirely that like it's not just that all the way but it comes in in dribs and drabs and it does have the sound of something being hammered into place and kind of a lot of kind of you know square peg round hole type situations that said I do think it's a good record I don't think it's a disaster I don't think it's like completely um, you know betraying an identity or anything I, I think that the makings of Kathy Davy are certainly all over this record on like tracks like Trade Secrets which I think is really really impressive uh, Go Make It is another one Go Make It mm. is very very good song. Gem of a song but it is a strange record it does feel push-pull I think I, yeah. mean, I, I think even if you didn't know that quote you'd be like this isn't fully formed I suppose mm. that's the best way to put it yeah it feels um, I actually when I was listening to it it was one it was my least favourite to listen to because and I have five buzzwords which were it felt very compromised very contained in parts very awkward bloated and too long and did you know about bloated? her yeah are, 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 I felt that bloated and too long not, not, not the same thing though no not necessarily because no, sonically it's sound bloated yeah. okay. thank you very much but did you oh, wow. know about her anger <laughs> Just asking, with the record no. label <laughs> you didn't no. okay so you did okay right because yeah, I was wondering whether I or not I found that out afterwards and I was like oh, okay um, and a lot of the like notes I have about songs um a lot of them say, yeah, it's catchy, but it's far too long. So there's yeah, songs is, that are like it, yeah. four, like Trade Secrets is four minutes, 46 seconds. That could be a minute less. Um, Hammerhead as well. That's four, four and a half minute song could be like, in, like a minute shorter. Um, I just find that it's a very laborious task to listen to this as a whole it's nice to like go to specific songs like um i think i quite liked sugar as well like i liked that and that felt quite like a tales of silver sleeve precursor mm. and it was those songs that kind of felt a bit more organic to how she went on that i liked like stuff like come over i despised really oh, I didn't like it was really good <laughs> I, I think it's a good song really <laughs> like, didn't like it I think Holy Moly is the lesser good version of that song which I think I think I think we're probably going to say, say the same thing here but I think it's it's there's too many tracks on it mm. and yeah. it's um, packed like, it, it needs a lot of editing but yeah. and you know there's a little bit of trying to make her into a bit of a indie rock chick with the way the guitars are recorded and the distorted drums and mm. you know the kind of buzziness of the bass and it's funny because the, the, the cover's in black and white and I really feel like the album is kind of a bit in black and white if you know what I mean like the palette isn't very wide mm. musically um, there's no real narrative to it it's yeah, just there a bunch of songs isn't, and there yeah. isn't a lot of, there isn't a te- like a good template like, so the template just seems to be very you know narrow 
you know, maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, someone playing kazoo. Maybe there's a little bit yeah. of this. That's bizarre, by the way. I, mean, like, I, I can't believe that, like, one of my strong recommends on this album <laughs> opens with this weird kazoo yeah. thing that, like, goes on for quite... Like, this weird kazoo pronouncement on Trade Secret, uh, which takes about 45 seconds yeah. before the song yeah. then goes... That's, that would be Cathy on kazoo. She's a good kazoo. Well, yeah, but it's, it's good work. <laughs> I enjoyed it. But, like, it then, like, kind of course corrects into this very whimsical, kind of, you know, almost kind of vaudeville-style song, which yeah. is great. Like, that's her strength. And obviously, mm. you know, that would come to be her strength I think like, I think the one thing I'd say I, I wouldn't say that this is a, a, a great album but I'd say there's a great album in here does that make sense like, yes like Elvis Costello used to say about his albums his albums if it was a bad album it was a a, a, a bad collection of great songs and if it was a good <laughs> album you know then it was just a good collection of, 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 of great songs you know so this is like a bad collection you know it's yeah. like cut out like you know cut out the the Five weaker songs, you know. Yeah. Edit, you know, five, three or four of the other ones, yeah. and then you've got. A, I think you've got a really strong album. But it just the only thing it's missing. It's just missing like a bit of color and a bit of like cohesion uh, as well. I yeah, think. like yeah. I don't know. It's just like it's quite un- underproduced, you know. So it's you can hear the room and a lot of the stuff. Like there's in- there is interesting sounds, but they're all in the same palette. It's a bit of a frustrating album. Do you think it might be uh, just? O- overproduced in not a warm way. What I mean by overproduced, I mean it's kind of totally done on Pro Tools, totally chopped, and there's no realism to it. There's no warmth. There's no just no natural feeling to it. If it was put in a room with like just all a bunch of people just playing live, it could be potentially a really lovely, beautiful album. Well, I, I will say that there's a, there's a couple of songs and uh, Sugar is really good. Go Make It is one of my f- absolute favourite songs. Yeah. And I didn't hear that song until the fourth time I'd listened all the way through, you know. Yeah. And then, do you know, kind of, it took a while for the songs yeah. to get through. I kind of felt there was like a bit of a barrier to it because it was so, you know, the palette. I think you said that, uh, you, you mentioned that it was a hard listen. I didn't, I was not a fan the first couple of times. And as mm. I said already, the first time, like, Dave suggested it uh, or whatever um, only after he kind of recommended it as, his, as one of his albums that I went back and then I kind of gave it more of a chance because I just didn't it just didn't it was difficult to grab and when there is like 32 albums or whatever and you, you're like you, you, you can't listen to everything for a week you just can't mm. do it oh. um, but then when I gave it a chance it, it came through and then I really liked it and I thought the first three or four songs were really strong and I thought that song Go Make It was really strong. I thought that it sagged a bit at the end and, you know, a bit of snipping to be done. But I think the songs come through on this when you when you when you give it a chance. But the problem is a lot of people mightn't give it a chance because of the, you know. Yeah, the nature of what we're doing on the show required us to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think it's interesting from a talking point point of view, particularly because you don't often have a situation where someone is so candid about their first record or mm-hmm. even any of their records and kind of being like, actually, no, I don't like that one. I mean, like, I thought, I thought that was really cool of her to admit it. And then to kind of look at it from the point of view of like, I was like, well, you know, it's, it's no it's no fucking train wreck. I mean, like it just like it has its moments for sure. But they are not so much few and far between. It's more like uh, cluttered, I think. It's, like, it's a bit of a muddled record. You know, it just doesn't really ever get to a point of where it's smoothly flows. Mm. I just think it's a mess. Do you I think, think it's a mess? Yeah. I think it's a mess of an album. Am I being that, too polite? Yeah, but I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, Katy's intensely, pa- like intensely talented. Like, <laughs> No, not even. It's just, it sounds to me like a young singer-songwriter 
signed a big deal with a big major label, stick in the studio as producer, here's a bunch of musicians, this is what Derek is going to sound like, and she's kind of like, uh, ye, uh, I'm not sure all the way through. Well, she said that. She said, and that's, but, but, but you can hear it. her arse from yeah. her elbows. Yeah, thing. and yeah. it's just yeah. like, it's just, it sounds lazy, it's messy, there's too many songs, it doesn't feel like she's confident enough in what she's, even figured out what she's trying to do yet. And, it just doesn't there's like a few like clean and neat I remember when I heard that song I was like oh that's great that's a really poppy nice song it just doesn't sound very good it sounds too clean and neat basically mm. and it's just a, it's not even that it's a frustrating listen to me I'm just listening like yeah this is not a very not the, this is not a very good record it's just a mess it's, it, maybe if they'd redone it she had more time but when you hear her next record mm. and Tales of Silversleeve is phenomenal and it's an absolute hit fest, and it's full. Of, and that's a record she made. She controlled. She hmm. played and did. And, and you kind of realize the talent that's there. It's, there's hints of it on the first record, and you think maybe if she had had that power control on the first record, how good it could have potentially been. And the overriding thing with Kathy David with me is it's a really good um, way of describing why the record industry is such a disaster and why EMI basically went bust. That they had an artist this talented that Silversleeve did not sell a million copies around the world. It's that good an album. It went double platinum in Ireland. It should have been huge. Yet, she was dropped. Mm. There you go. That's why EMI went bust. Because they had the talent. It's an incredible artist. And they blew it. And I I, I think that, that second Silversleeve is so good. And the records she's made since are nice and interesting. They, I don't like them as much as like Silversleeve. And I don't like this first record at all, really. There's one or two songs, but just it just sounds very, could be any anything could be anybody. Well, I, you think, know, but I think there is a confusion. There, there's a, throughout there is a confusion, and it's funny how you can listen to an album and you get the kind of buzz that the person's going through. Yeah, I think yeah. it's really I think it's really you interesting. You can feel it. Just mm. yeah, the sound yeah. of some like, of the instruments. The yeah. and I know how I spoke to I've spoken to Kathy about this. Her making her first record, and she's like, oh, I hate the way the drum sounds that song, or I hate the way this, yeah. hate that. And when she was making her second record, she got to decide, Sonic. Yeah, yeah. And it's so lovely. She, just, she was so green then. She yeah. didn't know how to speak up at all to the producer. But or she's also that. one of, I mentioned a bit, Connor from the shows a little bit, but not on this scale, but Kathy just straight up hooks and melodies. Mm. I can't really think of an Irish songwriter of the last 20 years that has that capability for hooks that she has. Mm. And she... she well, <laughs> Take back, Kieran McGuinness. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Special K, deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> but just straight up, seriously, if you hear it... Are you specifically I, talking about female? Female, male, whatever. I can't, oh. think, I can't think of some... That, that, a record that has as many strong songwriting chops as that second yeah. album goes and they're in there it hidden under the mess of that first record and yeah. you know that she becomes what she becomes yeah. and it must have been so frustrating for her to make that first album well, not being that's not why I'm getting what she wanted she just, across if this had just been rehearsed with the same block of musicians yeah just gone in and played live like, or she played it, like she plays so much of the second record herself she yeah. just has the ability to do that and when, why Why like, didn't she make when that when she went out and played live this record I saw her a few times I didn't see her too many times but to- thoroughly enjoyed it yeah you know it's so great and I thought it was great and you could uh, I don't even like see, saying this but you could see the potential yeah, yeah, of yeah. what yeah. Uh, but she got signed for a reason be, like that was yeah, a thing yeah. I think like the thing with uh, Tales of Silver Steve and why 
that like the difference between that being so amazing in comparison to this is because there's a great warmth exuding mm. from that yeah. and there's like a soundscape like you like visualize things like i always remember when i listened to that first uh with sing for your supper whenever i would hear that song i just imagined like this like sparse navy woodland and i was like this is incredible that like a song is making me like imagine oh, sing for like your is incre- it's yeah. such an incredible song because her at her best is amazing but mm. i do think that is something that like the best songs on this, you know, with a bit of a tweak or whatever, are still better. I think this is still a better album than a lot of the albums in the list, you know? Like the like there's she's got something, you know, she always had and there's a huge like I can, you can hear it, you know? It's mm. just not polished and it's kind of you know, it's kind of a little bit it's a bit unsure, unsure mm. yeah. but it's there and the thing is like I still prefer that than you know, I I get why it's here, and I think it deserves to be one of the one of the recommended albums because, like as I say, there's a couple of brilliant songs in it. You know, mm. maybe maybe it's maybe it's a sick. You know, it's a mini album, but it's a great mini album as opposed. Do you know what I mean? I know that's I don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, not gonna go so far as to rewrite a track listing. But, yeah. <laughs> it started out as an EP, though. Like it started out as an EP. It did start out as an EP, and I think like come over. Hammerhead trades it like the good songs from the EP made it on to like the album so it did have like a kind of starting foundation I think it's ridiculous to release uh, like 14 track album I just it's think 56 it's minutes long it's 56 well, like, minutes yeah. it's like for a first like, release yeah. by like, a I just new think, artist like, like unless you're you know unless you've got you know smile in your back pocket there or, you know hmm. unless you like 12 tracks is you know it's that thing like a, I, I interviewed Steve Albini for a college magazine like in 2004 I think actually Jesus there you go but um, he said like give me give me a great half hour in a, in a band and an album and yeah. he said at a gig give me an incredible 45 minutes anything more than that you're wasting everybody's time and like yes. one side of a C90 but this is it like and I, I've, I've always I've always said that it, I've always had that in my head it's funny it's just like it's one of those things that just got written in the graffiti in the wall of my brain and it's always been there mm. and so if you're going over that it needs to be good Yeah. and I think it's, I don't think it's her fault because you know as you know labels decide a lot of what gets released you know yourself so but like you know I don't think it did her any favours you know it doesn't no, definitely not. doesn't do you any favours like yeah. cut off the you know one thing I will say about this record as well that really annoyed me is she's got such a beautiful voice yeah. and you hear it all over the second album obviously but to have an instrument like that and to not have that more to the fore on the first record not give it more space not record it better mm-hmm. like Ben Hillier is a, he's a good producer but whatever they were doing in there her voice just seems like an afterthought she's such a lovely beautiful warm like mm-hmm. uh, impactful voice that should have been the starting point and build from that it just yeah. sounds like Oh my God, an album made by committee or something. It's really yeah. frustrating. Yeah, I want to give the last word to uh, John Marr, seeing as I gave him the first word. He wrote a piece, I think it was in 2011 or so, about kind of like, you know, where do these artists go and what's next for some Irish bands and acts? And he has a quote here where he says, um, and what about female musicians? Is anybody likely to follow in the footsteps of the overrated Gemma Hayes? The UK-based Dubliner Kathy Davy is very talented, far more so than Hayes. Oh, but she damn. failed to find an audience for her fine debut something ilk. So we must get John back on to talk about his Gemma Jesus. Hayes fixation. And, uh, do you think uh, will Cathy listen to this? I wonder. Well, we, we, send all posts well, to. Well, <laughs> I have had a couple of people give out, about, uh, give out about previous episodes. Right. Okay. Like I mean, there was one guy <laughs> who gave out stink about the frame slagging. 
that the frames the frames got in the last episode. What a perfect way to lead into our final record. <laughs> well, eh? could, before we go there, can we just, uh, Cathy, you can hit me all you want the next time I see you. He said he'd stay, give it all, but that's not good So that's Sideways Down by the Frames. Graham Hopkins, you were there, so I'm just going to stop talking. What do you want me to say? Whatever you want to say. <laughs> what snare did you use? Take us <laughs> well, I used a what few drums? snares. This is ridiculous. Uh, Who <laughs> uh, I wasn't... Who let this happen? In <laughs> I was invited here. I didn't pick the album. The album was picked for me. Isn't that right? I didn't choose me. the game. The, the game chose me. Yeah. I I played on this album, although I wasn't a member of the Frames, and I'd previously played on. Uh, the, oh, sorry, this was the album just after Setlist, which was their you know big live monster album. live album recorded in Vicker Street, and then before that was. Um, What's it called again? The for the birds. For the, for the birds. Thank you very much for the birds, which was also a really successful album. I genuinely had a great, great time recording "Burn the Maps." Uh, first off, you know we rehearsed like we did a, a hell of a lot with several things in uh, Wexford, where the, several of the guys were living and do still live, and then we went off to. Uh, Steve Albini's studio who you just said Karen that you interviewed Steve Albini we went to uh, his studio Electrical Audio in Chicago what an incredible studio it was amazing so we spe- spent a couple of weeks there recording uh, several of the songs not all the songs and yeah very inspiring time because you know you're with Albini in that place where so many legendary albums have been recorded Everybody there uh, that works there, all in the jumpsuits. Rob Bochnik, who uh, the Frames had originally met working there, was now a member of the Frames and uh, who still plays with us and uh, still tours with Glenn. And um, then after we were in electrical, uh, we went back to Black Box, which we were mentioning when we talked about uh, the Jape album and the Rednecks. Redneck. And that uh, we went back there to record more bits and pieces. And uh, I could go on for years and years about this. And I don't know all in all how long we spent recording, but I had a hell of a time. It's so easy um, recording and making music with the frames. It really is a band uh, collective um, with everybody putting theirs in. Essentially, the songs are first and foremost written by Glenn, 
but everybody uh, puts you know their oar uh, in as regards uh, putting their their you know musical opinion on board. I, I listen. I listened to that right. So it was their fifth album, and it was the first album that made number one. So on, suddenly, tell me you hated. Go on. <laughs> no, I, I won't tell you. I think that this is maybe you can tell. Maybe you can say. I think this is really, really produced. I think that like there's strings on everything, and I think it doesn't. It just doesn't sound. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're talking about it being like real band in the room. It doesn't really sound very band in the room. No, that isn't. That isn't. I'm not talking about the quality of the album there. I'm just saying, production wise, was that a decision? Like, because I, I just to, just to go back just before the question, I was talking about a lot of the albums this year. There's like a an optimism in the success of the album. There's an ambition. This sounds like. The frame's kind of going. Let's do this, you know. Let's let's do a big album, you know. Like, there's the biggest hit they ever had, probably. I think. I think Fake is the biggest hit they had. Another big hit in, yeah, in fine radio wise. Yeah. 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 So like, I think there's a lot of kind of going for it on this album. Mm. Um, and the weird thing is, I think a lot of the songs are some of the folkiest that Glenn had written, and then the band came in on top of it, so they kind of sound like. So a lot of them have like long kind of intros into it and the melody is quite gentle and then the band is quite big behind it and quite yeah. produced it's kind, of, it's kind of a funny it's kind of a funny like I don't know if it always works you know that it's interesting that that's like something that you picked up on that like you kind of noted and maybe weren't quite mad about it because when I uh, was then like doing some further research on like how it was received when it came out it was reviewed on Pitchfork and it got 4.7 and the main uh, strife that the writer, uh, Jason Crock, had was that he said, unfortunately, on their latest album, they're far more ambitious. And then he goes on about like Unfortunately, how, they're Yeah, which I think is a really strange thing to say. But like he then goes on to like uh, back that statement up by saying how um, there's, <clears throat> again, there's bloated arrangements. And then he criticizes the strings. He's, he literally says this. Please, guys, please. One song without strings in the chorus. Just one. I know you have a violinist in your midst, but there has to be one, another way to bring the bombastitude. So like, bombastitude. yeah. So he was like giving out that there was just too much like swell and too much bloat. But like when I was listening to it, like I read that and I was enraged by it because I was like, I actually really like how like it seems or it feels like there's quite a lot of passion and there's a lot of vigor to this album which I think like maybe I didn't kind of like instantly get from like say like the Kathy Davy album or the Thrills album and like there's a huge amount of confidence I think in this it's a very like, very confident re- album like I think like it's a I think it's the frame I, I would assume that, that I don't know Glenn written but I assume he's a confident guy but this like this is the real this is just there's no fear at all, yeah. you know. And sometimes it works. Like there's a song, uh, "Ship Caught in the Bay," which is like really interesting. Kind of the music yeah. is really good, you know. I think the album overall is a bit, a bit long, but the fact that it's long it means that there's lots of ideas going yeah. on. Yeah, and I think like his confidence is shown as well. Like uh, there's one or two songs um, where his voice is actually like it's quite muffled by like everything else that's going around him. So like, yeah, it's like he doesn't have to be like the four of it, which is funny for like. Glenn, because he's like seems like such a like four figure kind of person, where like you'd imagine that he doesn't want anyone else taking his limelight. Like, but um, so I found that kind of interesting. Where there's times where he's like a bit distant, and then like other things are kind of coming a bit more up. Like, uh, there's quite a few of the ones where I actually have drums are very great in this song. Oh, thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, I actually really liked it. I think the first, the intro, the first uh, song, Happy, a, I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's a really strong opening. I think it's a really interesting song to open because there's lines about being discordant in it and it, there is a bit of discordant sounds and stuff, but it's like... <laughs> It's like a kind of a false opener because finally then is the the, mm. the song, you know, the kind of really melodic kind of pop song to start the album. Yeah, and hap- uh, um, just with Happy as well, like it's nice to hear... Happy's uh, the first song, right? Yeah, yeah. Happy is the first. It's nice to hear like a, like Hansard's voice in a different register as well. He's a lot softer in that song. Um, and it mm. goes a bit higher um, as opposed to just like shouting down your ears like... Can we please talk about how fake is today by the Smash Pumpkins for the first minute and a bit, please? <laughs> what happened there? The fake like, is really you know, I, it's I mean, good, but I'm just like that is today by the Smash ju- Pumpkins. Can you just? How, oh, it's just I'm, like the, just the riff, like it's just like that, like the kick in, like the building, and, and then the riff is today by the Smash Pumpkins. Like, I'm just trying to think of how fake by the Pumpkins goes, or uh, fake by the Frames. Today no, but yeah, pumpkins. but I'm yeah. just today by the Pumpkins. Yeah. Okay, so it's not. <laughs> it's not like it at all. So on that one, I, on fake, I, I'm playing two and four, and on that one that you're talking about, it's all the toms just playing around. So no, it's no similarity. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> defend it. But that's yeah. funny because uh, like, my box. We were talking about. Um, the J, you know, song floating sound quite different on that album. I think fake sounds quite different on this album. You know, it's re- like a really, it's a very radio pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, I would actually be interested to know what they think. Like, is that a song that you said you don't play it anymore? I think last year was like, was it last year the twentieth anniversary, two thousand fifteen? I do, I do remember we just played fake at those gigs because there were big 20th anniversary gigs All right. and other than that it hadn't been played in some time because it's just like it was such you know it was gen- you know genuinely in Ireland such a big hit and it's just like let's go down another pla- path and it was a year and a, it was released a year and a half before the album which is really f- yeah right you don't hear that you know a lot sort of it's, which is interesting so I wonder was there like pressure right, to put it on it? the album yeah, that was okay. released in like, you know, in 2003, the year before. Was it? it was a hit, yeah. My goodness. But isn't that funny? So, like, if it does, sometimes that feels like that the label are trying to get you on the album. So I was well, there was what, no label oh, was w- with this. No, everything the band have done uh, is all self-released. Obviously, there's uh, there's distribution, anti-distribute mm. uh, everything, but there's n- never with the frames or Glenn uh, is there ever pressure from anybody for anything you know but like um, as you mentioned um, like uh, a minute ago w- with the frames and this album what what were they gonna do it's just like they did a set list and before that was for the birds yeah so what were they gonna do were they gonna go back down to a house in Kerry again and record themselves this homemade album sitting around and then but they no they wanted to go back into a recording studio where they hadn't been in a long time the last time they were in a recording studio was Dance the Devil and that was years ago but Dance the Devil was an album that was definitely put together through a lot of sessions so this one was an album that was all just done in one off sessions do you know what I mean? Yeah. all recorded live so if that's the way it sounded it wasn't like a big um, you know 
Pro Tools joining bits together, you know. So, so, uh, so can I ask you a question then, right? Because yeah. I'd be interested to know. So, I, when people talk about the frames, the greatest albums, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm not, I'm not usually part of those conversations. But um, when they actually happen, I guess they're going to talk about For the Birds. They're going to talk talk about Dance yeah. the Devil. Yeah. And they're probably going to talk about Fitzcarraldo, right? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, wh- where do you think where do you think Burn the Maps fits? Like, do you think it's one of their best? Albums, or do well, you think I it's think there's definitely different generations. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get a lot of people coming to me, or you know, talking to me, as I obviously because I played on the album, and so there's a lot of people that just started listening to the frames around then, mm. and they get like the albums before that. They just um, only got the albums before that because. The, do you know what I mean? Because that was this album was their introduction to the frames, or maybe the album after that. You know, so um, it, it depends. You know, whereas this album was incredibly and globally, Australia, the states, went went really well. You know, not in big chart success, because their live gigs, the frames live live gigs, have also you know always been a a big live. Success, James. You haven't said anything. In yeah, because I don't. To be honest with you, I don't want to be ragging on the friends. It's they've never been my thing. That's okay. I don't. I just it's not my thing. The songs aren't my thing. I would say about this record, I do like. I like actually like the sound of the record, but I like it when it's just instrumental. I like I like it when it doesn't feel like here's a bunch of lyrics, here's a song, here's a voice. The playing on it's lovely, and I will mm. not to. Give you some drum ego showing, but the drumming on it's lovely. And I, when I, as I was listening, to it, I was like, stop paying attention to the songs, just listen to the drum, listen to the music. And but it's just, it's never, it's just never really been my thing. And like, that's just, I don't want to. That's totally fair. Yeah, man. but that's just that's it. Totally and fair. I mean, I can see why people love it. I can see why it's. Done. That's a big issue. Yeah, that's a big issue. It's just not. It's just like the one. The, to me, when the frames sounded at their best was kind of the stuff that sounded most like Deus, and it was a bit all over the shop and a bit edgy, and a bit weird, a bit arty, with that, kind of discordant guitars. And now, it, not but yeah, but but now it it's got mad lush and it got it's a bit more folky and a bit more, and it just this it washed over me. But there's moments in the frames history, I'll be honest, where. Like the first time I heard God Bless Mom, the original version on the single, that did, like the one on the album I don't like, the original version I was like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. That's it. That's like, this is this is great. I remember seeing the video on No Disc. I was like, what is that? That's, that's, that's br- the frame. It's like, what? God and Bless like, Mom da- is Dave brilliant. Hignerty's in the video kind of playing on its kit. I was like, wow, Upstairs this is... In the international. Suddenly I'm like, this. Th- yeah. maybe I've been totally wrong. This is really interesting about But that's the moment that caught me. That's yeah. it. And... That's it. In twenty years of band, that's the one moment that caught me. I was like, yeah. "That's there's something there." I can, if that's the way in, I can see it. Fine, but just purely from it, like for the rest of it, have I you can, been to a live gig? Oh yeah, but like back in the day, I remember seeing them in a, in the in the Water Rats in London in front yeah. of about like twenty people touring. I guess Dance the Devil. I brought a lady, and uh, this You're was years years ago, uh, and and they were just it was intense and really full on, and I was like, "This is." Intensive, yeah. full on. I'm digging it, yeah. but 
again, it's just moments, and it's yeah. I can't. I hear you. Okay, yeah. okay, we well, can talk yeah, about. Can we, I just we, wrap we, this? We can talk about your James dating game all day. Well, I do want to know what snare you used on the album for real. I really like the snare. Tone. It was probably either a pork pie. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, but it's eight <laughs> inches deep. Steve Albini gets good drums. He, he, do, he, he does. He knows how to record. It was It was either that. So or else it was uh, a Ludwig uh, Black Beauty time has defeated us we must wrap this up <laughs> drum 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 can I uh, wrap it up with one thing yes uh, I've I've done many musical things uh, obviously in my life or my career um, but I just love absolutely playing with the frames I just absolutely adore it and it, and the same as playing with Glenn even more so with his solo stuff over the last few years but the vibe out of the frames that music um, everybody playing off each other that camaraderie is like nothing you get with any other band it wasn't fake yeah okay <laughs> perfect great way to stop it we'll take a quick break and we'll try and pick a winner from this bunch so to speak <laughs> Okay, so uh, packed episode, uh, heavyweight edition for sure. It's been tremendous. But, uh, Graham, if you had to pick one, or more than one if, if you need to, album for the listener to go and revisit right now, what would it be? From 2004, my favourite album that year is an album called Courses by a band called Haylight. Your side project, your solo project, it's tremendous. But, but it's- it wasn't a side project that year, it was my main focus. Okay. And m- another thing I was asked to do, which was my side project, <laughs> was uh, a band called The Frames. I've heard of them. And uh, the uh, the the album was called Burn the Maps. Burn the Maps. That's your so out of all that we've <laughs> no, there's several albums, and I always forget names. Like I forget names of songs, but Haylight Courses first and second. <laughs> the frames okay perfect Zara I would go with Jape start with to the sea then go to floating then finish it off with the hardest thing to do and that's the only way to listen to that album James Byrne uh, I would go with Jape because it's the w- one record on the list that I buy that I yeah. get that I believe the most I think it's a beautiful record perfectly summed up Kieran McGuinness um, in a in a Richie Egan twofer I would go <laughs> for uh, the Rednecks and I would go for Jape. And actually, in a kind of a way that they work off each other really well, I think that, uh, yeah, Rednecks and, and Jape for me. And for me, I'm going Jape, because I think it's the best of the five, apart yeah. from the Haylight record, which, of course, gets an honorary mention. Go check it out. It's Courses by Haylight. So Shouts J- to Darren. <laughs> <laughs> so can, we, uh, so can we play a Haylight song so everybody can hear it? No. <laughs> yes, we can. This has been long enough. What snare drum did he use on that? Oh, that was uh, that was uh, definitely a black beauty. There he is. There. I've been hijacked on my own show. Nonetheless, we will exit with Jape because that's what we should do because he's our champion of the hour. Hey, we didn't talk about Maddie B and Emily's artwork that yep. they did for so many of the albums that we've even talked about. Who is that? Who are, and Matty is actually in the red. That's Matthew Bulger. Uh, who um, did the Haylight did the album. Haylight <laughs> album courses oh that year? Shame, for shame, I know first your name. Didn't they do the I'd like video. to thank I'd like to thank the yes. entire panel for coming in today. Uh, to Graham Hopkins, Zara Hederman, James Burr, and Kieran and myself, of course, Dave Hanrady and Haylight and Haylight as well for their uh, illustrious presence towards the end of the show. Really, really picked up there in, in the third act. Uh, my name is Dave Hanrady. This has been an encore. The revisit. There will be more again. We're we'll back to you again. This is Jake. This is floating. See you next time.
podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher. Because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.